You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. So today we have a very, very special guest. Mr. Pete Chapman will be joining us. He is a prolific television film director. We're very lucky to have him. I thought with such a special uh, guest for the episode, maybe we should do something extra special for, for the cold open. So I've prepared something without Nick at all. He's unaware of what I'm doing. Uh, he's had no say in it. And he's finding out as he listens <laughs> who I am with here today. So I'd like to introduce you, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, Mrs. Nick Walker, Sarah Joyce. Hello, my darling dear. Hi. It's so nice to be here. It is so good to see you. Your beautiful eyes, they match your shirt. <laughs> In person. So well. <laughs> 3,000 miles away from your husband. Yeah. Yeah. The time has come. It was so easy to just get in the car and drive to San Diego, and here you are. We're so conveniently close out to of, each other Out of now. my dreams and into my state. Yeah. Out of the dreams, <laughs> into your car, into my home, where you are right now, <laughs> where you belong. Where you belong. And nothing Nick can do about it, which is the best part. He can. He, He's just so far away. He can't help. We're just we're just looking into each other's eyes right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. Your eyes are beautiful, just like Thank the you. ocean. Pretty blue, huh? Yeah, they're gorge. Yeah, they're gorge. Nick is at home with our cat, taking care of him. Oh, cool, you cool know. cat, Nick. <laughs> Yeah, he's just there. Yeah, that's out. great. I think he I think he texted me earlier being like, hey, Ferris and I are going to nap and then I'm going to make some oatmeal. <laughs> I'm like, great, Nick. He has no idea. <laughs> yeah, he, he had no idea the beautiful afternoon What's I had ahead on? of me. So tell me a, a little bit about uh, what you're doing in San Diego here. So I moved to San Diego. Um, I am starting as a grad school student, graduate student. Is that a thing? A grad school grad, student. You're a grad, a grad student. Yeah, a grad student. I'm getting my MFA at the University of San Master's Diego. Master's program. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the Old Globe, which is really, really exciting. Um, this has been my number one choice of a school for a really, really long time. Love the faculty, love the head of the acting department. Uh, so yeah, I, I touched down in San Diego about like a like a week and a half, two weeks ago, and I already have a really unflattering farmer's tan. <laughs> Uh, and I'm really, really excited about this weather, about these yes. beaches. Here for it. We are so happy to have you. Do you hear that, Nick? We are so happy to have you. I'm just so happy to be halved by you. That's what I'm happy about. You want to go get dinner with me? Yeah, let's go get dinner. There's All this right. really great place around the corner I think I heard of. I'm there. Yeah. And then maybe a sleepover. Little Justice, Little Justice, Little Justice, fuck yeah. Alex, I'm terrified because I have no idea what our cold open is. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun what just happened. No, I don't know what just happened. I don't like that. I don't like not knowing. I don't like that you have this much power. And and we've this is a recurring theme in our show at this point the fact that you just have power over whatever happens in here, which it's you know, it's really all it's really all that I have. I mean that's is that not a microcosm of our country? It is. Uh, you know <laughs> <laughs> where where I can do whatever I want and then you just change the system to to, ser- to serve your needs. You sick bastard. Uh, that but, is correct. <laughs> but welcome welcome to this episode of little justice i have no idea what you heard prior to this but i'm sure it's something that is just completely offensive to me and mine uh i'm nick walker i'm alex smolo and uh we are so happy to be here we have an amazing 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 guest 
uh, with us today. Somebody who actually is an alum of our school, but more to the point has directed in TV and film, has a podcast of his own. We are just so honored to have him. Uh, Pete Chapman, come on in. How you doing, my friend? Hey, hey, hey. What's up, Nick? Alex, thank you for welcoming me to the podcast. I'm happy to be here and uh, chop it up with you, gentlemen. Yeah, welcome. You, you might not remember this, or maybe you do, I don't know, but Nick, how me and Nick met was my student film at NYU, uh, of which you had a little a little part. I don't know if you remember, but um, Pete in, what year was it? 2007, I think, did a documentary called 761st mm-hmm. about the 761st Tank Battalion, Platoon of Black Soldiers in World War II. And, and the film me and Nick made was called Borderland that dealt with, with similar subject matter. Uh, and I remember very fondly getting to sit down with you a couple of times and just kind of talk about about the script and about the content and, you know, making sure it was going to be the best it could be. Yeah, we we uh, we wrapped in the conference room of the production center, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Um, I, I remember cool. making uh, you were making an ambitious film, which is always impressive and what you should be going for. I, I felt um, with a student film, because how else are you going to learn if you don't go for the fences? How else are you going to learn? You just got to swing. You know, luckily, that one turned out. But uh, you spent a good amount of time at NYU, and you've since I, I kind of I've been interested. So I've been I've been following you a lot on on social media and just kind of tracking your career because I always really admired uh, you were kind of one of the professors there who um, just sort of your dedication to the the craft was always present. You know, you came in every day and you're just like ready to work. Uh, you and Anthony Artis, and you, you just had like your whole. Um, the whole attitude was like, just get out there and do it. And I think that that was really inspiring at the time. So to watch you evolve your career from that into, into sort of this prolific, you know, TV direction. Can you, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, I can. It's a great time to chat about it because I, I just finished the draft of a book that goes into the whole journey. Oh, amazing. It focuses on anecdotally, like how I went from like a guy picking up a super eight millimeter camera to an NYU student film that goes to Sundance to a feature film with Zoe Saldana and Hill Harper and Dorian Missick that, you know, gets a limited theatrical deal and then a Showtime uh, cable premiere and then, you know, crickets. And then I'm, <laughs> I'm teaching at NYU while working a, a administrative job and making the documentary while sitting behind that desk and, winning this Tribeca Film Institute competition in 2008. And, you know, all that I just ran off, that's like a nine-year period right there. And so probably by the time that we crossed paths, I was in the valley, as I like to re- refer to it, uh, where I was like trying to, having having made two features, a doc and a narrative, neither of which brought the industry attention to me that I thought I was supposed to get. Mm. Um, going back to 2001, like going to Sundance with my thesis film with Kerry Washington, like I, I kept knocking, oh, like checking the boxes of what I'd been uh, told were the milestones for a student filmmaker and then an indie filmmaker raising half a million dollars to make a feature. And, you know, none of those those kind of expectations were met. And so around 08 to like 2014, I was there at NYU and I probably wrote like five different scripts that I was really focused on triangulating. I was like, all right, well, if they're not buying what I'm writing and they're not digging what I'm making, 
heart and soul, then maybe if I look at what's being made and, and I can kind of shoehorn these kind of political things and cultural uh, things that I'm interested in to these genres, then I'll be able to make things happen. And of course, that didn't happen. And so um, all during that time, I had built up my production company from videos to actually doing branded content and making money. I left the administrative job at NYU. I was adjunct faculty, but I was kind of easing away from that because of the politics connected to it that were just not worth uh, the time, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I went and made a short film um, that was quite honestly me returning to the kid in 1993 who picked up a Super 8 millimeter camera. And so mm-hmm. I made this short film um, with money that I made from my production company. I basically like held myself accountable to all the shit I'd say to other people. And I ended up spending 30000 on this short film really as an exercise to see what my abilities were when left to my own devices. Mm. And this short was called Black Card. And it starred um, Dorian Missick, who'd been in my film since NYU, his wife, Simone Missick, Hisham Tawfiq, who was on Blacklist at the time. And uh, that short, which I made with the expectation of only being able to watch it and say, okay, that's about 80% of what I hoped it would be, got picked up by HBO. And that led to four TV director programs um, for diverse directors, as they like to call it. And mm. then I shadowed on eight to 10 shows over like a three-year period. I got representation because of a deadline article that announced I had been selected by one of those programs to watch TV being made as a shadow. Huh. And that, that's how I got a manager. And so all the things that I learned over that journey of like how to run a company, how to navigate politics, how to uh, brand and present myself, I was kind of now able to like literally just put the microwave on high, so to speak, and 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 kind of key into all of those things that I had learned work in navigating new environments. And uh, God, I, I'll wrap this up, but uh, the first episode That's- I, I booked was Blackish. And the irony in that is that I had met Kenya Barris back in 2002 on my first fundraising trip on my feature premium. And then if I hop from my first episode to March 12th, when I got uh, much like the entire industry, I was shut down. um, I was prepping the season finale for All Rise. And number one on that film, I mean, I'm sorry, on that show is Simone Missick. No, no, no. The co-lead in my short black card that I made that HBO picked up. All comes back around. It it all comes back around, man. It really does. That's a winding road. (laughs) I I, I guess it's the the kind of thing where you can't ever really know how it's going to happen. I think it's it's that like stick to itness, right? That like you, even when you're in the valley, knowing that like you can't just, you can't just give up. Like, you know, like what, what else are you going to do? And just, just trusting that, that putting in the work over and over and over again is going to, you know, set off one of these weird fuses. <laughs> but what I, what I also like, I mean, back to, back to that point, what I also love about that story is, is the full circleness of it. The fact that, you know, these people who 
you know, just come in and do it because they love you, you know, you all rise together. I mean, and it's so funny because when I was looking at your, you know, you know, going back through your incredible, you know, filmography um, and, and all the TV shows you've directed, I mean, literally in terms of our friends, like you have, <laughs> you have, you know, in, in the past two years, because I mean, what, how many TV shows have you have you directed for in the past two years alone? You know, you've hit up Insecure. So our boy, Alan, um, who was uh is on is daniel on insecure and that that was my it was like my i I, he was my rosencrantz when i directed hamlet um and and then you did i think you did last og yeah right so so that's my boy d watts is on that d D watts another broadway cat and then um oh no he's i mean d and alex if you don't know d watts or if anybody doesn't know d watts uh check out that man's insta check out that man's twitter i mean his he's an amazing spoken word poet and he also is um just incredible activist and pillar of the community and, I, and he's he's my brother and he, he literally taught me so much of what i know um about this industry and then single parents with taryn was our king in hamilton yeah so that's my boy and then the the thing that i have to just we i have to just fanboy about to you uh and i don't know if alex prepped you for this or not but if you didn't i apologize <laughs> so you have to understand that for the past i'd say since since my college breakup in junior year uh, so that was 2009. There has been one show that has kept my soul alive, and it is the it is literally the show that like like brought me and my wife together, and that is of course always sunny in Philadelphia. Huh. D Day is one of the best episodes of this, of that last year. Like straight up, I just I literally sat watching that like this is and it's and it's always ridiculous. That episode in particular was so ridiculous. I so I as soon as I knew that you were coming on, I was like, "Yo, okay, I got it. I'm not gonna. I don't want to. I don't want to take up too much of your time or or get away from the point of this of this podcast. But I I have to know what that experience is <laughs> well, being on that set and directing that show. You know, timing is everything, isn't it? Because on my podcast next week, I've got Rob McElhenney. So oh god, god damn it, and he's oh. um. You know, I, I was actually after All Rise, I was going to go do um, three episodes of Mythic Quest because yep. I had done one last year. Um, and so he I mean, they're great, man. They're like they everybody over on the Sunny team. And th- that is also the Mythic Quest team, although um, Charlie is uh, a creator, but he's yep. not in the show. Um, yep. And it's just a whole nother kind of way of working which is the skill that I think an episodic director has to develop, which is you have the way you want to work and and you have Mm -hmm. these tools that are available to you in your directorial toolkit, both psychologically and technically. (laughs) And then you have to adapt to what kind of house they're building. You know what I'm saying? So like, they yeah. do a lot of improv. There's a lot of figuring out the scenes in the middle while we're shooting, like a reset, like, mm-hmm. oh, 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 Nick, Nick, uh, take it back. Say this, say this, say this. Okay. All right, cool. Yep. Uh, you know, and it's like that kind of deal. And it it can seem like chaos, but when you're in the 14th season of a show, you know what the music is, you know? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, man, I just kind of get in there and try and, keep my eye on the blind spots like hey can we do a, a different kind of shot here you know or mm-hmm. you know i noticed this that was funny but like i don't know i'm kind of thinking this might be a, a funny take and if you're open to it let's try it and i feel like on the shows that have been there uh been around longer than most um i i almost view it like can i come in with a level of excitement 
that perhaps, and I'm not saying this is the case for everyone, but but perhaps reignites the excitement that they had when they started. Exactly. Mm, yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, is, is it walking into a production like that where they've done 14 seasons? Are the producers at that point almost like brand script supervisors where they're like, they they need to make sure that that what's coming out the other end is completely on brand. Like, is there preparation for that that they give you or that you do yourself in terms of because it's a very different show from from let's say like Grey's Anatomy right. that you do right. Like, you need to know coming in that you have a complete handle on the tone. Like, what's what's the process of making sure that you're you know handling their baby properly, basically. You know, it's so here's the here's you know when you think about I'm gonna loop this back to to those soldiers in in 761st right. The, the yeah. reason that these tankers were called up, um, these black tankers were called up uh, for uh, duty during the Battle of the Bulge was that I believe 282 tanks were destroyed uh, on D-Day. And they had these black tankers who were down in Louisiana and Fort Hood, Texas, and all these places. Um, basically, like, we're never going to put you in action but yeah you can be a tanker because we have to have you know units of black folks as well and what happened was they got so damn good from 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 doing nothing but war games every day all day with no action that they were literally the best ones and Mm. so you know in that journey for myself from 1999 graduating nyu until 2017 directing my first episode of tv I was just building up skills, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like mm, yeah. I was building up like, you know, how to, how to talk to people that don't want me to talk to them, uh, how to deal with somebody that they're telling me is, um, you know, confrontational. But if I figure this out, I can see where they're coming from and perhaps we can have some rapport. How can I shoot this scene in 10 minutes? You know, like all of these things were being honed and crafted, not out of desire, but because of the fact that it was very hard to break into television directing as basically not a white guy, in all honesty. Mm, yep. By the time I started to work, I had developed the these systems that are almost like, got it, this sounds pompous as hell, but they're almost like Kobe-like. You know, like I was, <laughs> I was, I was listening to a, a interview with a basketball player who met Kobe because, you know, everybody like I know you guys now going back. Right. But all these basketball players meet in high school, middle school. And this yep. player said. Kobe in high school was like, why do you play one on one basketball? I, I'm sorry. Why do you play pickup basketball? That's a waste of your time. He was like, hmm. you could go to the gym and, mm-hmm. and, and for two hours work on your skills. And pick up basketball, you're gonna get what four shots, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it'll be in a totally non-game type environment. And so, um, for me, it was just working. You know, I, I watch every episode of a show. Um, I've got a meeting for a season two show on Friday, and right now I'm like a third of the way through the season, but I'm watching all 18 episodes because I I got to know what you guys do. Yeah, and mm. with that. Then I make notes of what it, I mean, I kind of don't have as much time as I like, but I'll make notes of what I what I watch, the themes, the character arcs, the way it was shot, things that I questioned, things that I thought were great, things that I thought could maybe be enhanced, you know, and and, and then I come in there um, understanding the DNA of the show 
and being somebody that they can they can trust with it in the same way that if you were and I don't like these metaphors because they can kind of diminish what we're what we are actually doing, which I hesitate to do. But like if I was babysitting your kid, like I got to know what they eat. I got to know when they eat. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. And and then once I have those basics, then I can become like the best babysitter ever because of how I do those things. Yeah. Do you have to yeah. prove to them that that you like the kid too or yeah. just that you are able to take care of them? Like, like is there an expectation for you to like come tell them how much you, you love the show and how much you want to work on it from like a passion standpoint or is, is TV directing kind of a technical... I believe it's a passion. I, I mean, I, I have shows that I'm pitching that some are a year old, some are 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And anybody that's going to sit across from me at a desk better be passionate about that joint. Because, <laughs> because yeah. you know, I, I want to know that, you know, like there's any episode of TV will find its way to air. But we all know, like, you can have your favorite show and... Even if you don't know the technical stuff, you can have a favorite show and be like, that episode wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. And it all comes down to the script, of course, but like a script that's in the pocket can be badly directed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And so it's up to you to kind of like show that their show's in good hands. And once you deliver on it, then they invite you back, which is the first sign of trust. And then you maybe try and introduce more things that you think fit the show and you probably may have less resistance because they know you're not trying to do things because you're trying that you think that some, there's some auteur theory at work. Mm-hmm. Right. And just to circle back to another great point that you, or that you kind of inadvertently brought up, it seemed like the, the idea of this, you know, this kind of, let's call it what it is. I'm sorry, Alex, I love you, but white boys <laughs> club that we got, you know I mean? Like that in, in, in every industry it exists. Um, and, and the first place my mind went was, do you feel, especially, you know, now that we're kind of in this wonderful renaissance for, in a lot of ways of black art, where we are, we are finally getting a lot out there, um, as, as far as we have to go, (laughs) do you feel, have you ever felt that there is a pressure on you to kind of be that black director for these shows? Have they, have there been any instances where you've been kept in a certain lane because of, of, of your racial makeup? Do you feel that um, when you come on a show like an always sunny, um, is there, is there any, even if it's pressure you put on yourself to, you know, especially like, I love that, that crew, but that is, I mean, their first episode is literally about how white they are. Um, You know what I mean? Like what, what, how do you kind of, or are you finding ways to kind of subvert that and and keep pushing those expectations? Yeah, you'll find I I kind of don't like what words mean often, so I I, I sure, end up sure, stumbling sure. through them. Um, but I would say, while I don't mean the word this way, the only burden that I carry is to ensure that new directors, emerging directors coming behind me, like you know, 30 episodes ago would not get tainted by the shit I did. Right. Mm. So, you know, like I, like when I interviewed for um, Insecure season two, basically I, I I didn't get the job because I was a, I had not yet done an episode and, Mm -hmm. you know, there may have been other reasons too, but that was like perhaps the biggest. It was like, we can't like willfully, 
give an episode of the show to someone that's never done it before. And mm-hmm. doesn't matter what the resume may be or how well you did, were in your meeting. Like, that's just a box. Like, you've never babysat a kid and I have two kids and nah. Mm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. you know, I, uh, so I know that that's a real thing and I want to make sure that anyone coming behind me, whether from a program or whatever, however they got the opportunity, that's not going to be their experience. The other thing is that I also want to make sure that people aren't going to be like, oh, black director. You know what I mean? Yep. And so there are particular, it's unfortunate that that's even a thought, but it's a thought. Isn't it? Real, <laughs> you know, and Jesus. and so you're just trying to, but, but, but outside of that, right. And I, that's why I was kind of like, I hesitate to say burden. The, the ultimate thing is that I'm driven by the fact that another Michael Jordan, another basketball analogy. I remember Michael Jordan had this statement where he was like, you know, in every arena, Every night there's somebody who thinks I may not be as good as they heard and I'm going to show them. And, mm. you know, that's a good motivating factor. And, and I'm kind of coming with the same thing. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm here to show you, like, you haven't seen the extent of what I can do. If you sit back and, and watch and we collaborate, I can, I can be a, a trusted collaborator to elevate what it is that you've worked on so hard for however many years. I love that. And I mean, and dude, seriously, good. I mean, good on you for being on the forefront of that because it is, you know, the work that you are doing now will make it easier. And 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 so and so much less pressure for directors coming through after you. Um, you know, we shouldn't be in a place where you are judging an entire group uh, by one person's actions. Um, but but for you to be like, yo, you know what? I'm just gonna do. I'm gonna show them that I can do my best, and thusly that makes the road easier for anyone coming down after me that's i mean that's that's what the, that's what the revolution is you know what i mean so good on you dude and, and thank you for what you're doing um you know man this is so it's look look at this look 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 at the kind of people we look got on this, this amazing show look at it's this just, we haven't even just, gotten to the theme yet i know the theme I can talk. The theme I can talk. <laughs> it's dude, great it, it kind of makes me want to just do a completely different show where we don't have to you know <laughs> pivot into, just want, into something just, else halfway through <laughs> just makes you want to like just abandon everything that we've worked for for like like you know seven years <laughs> yeah like, totally uh, just, do just give it all completely up different yeah just give it all up dude and you know why not i mean it's 2020 guys like whatever whatever throw it out we'll do what throw we want out. i mean yeah there's something like like <laughs> nine thousand new podcasts a day or something like that like we can <laughs> is we that can true toss one more on the pile it's terrifying i don't know there was some crazy number but no, anyway man. uh <laughs> let's break in and steal the theme for stop the, doing that. That's a bet. <laughs> okay, so Pete, Pete, here's something that's happened. To Alex has been trying this for the past couple of episodes, and it's really starting to piss me off. <laughs> he does this thing where he tries to like pivot into the theme <laughs> of whatever the movie is that we've chosen by like throwing it in there. He'd be like, like if it was like a crime movie, he's like, you know, if we don't talk about this movie, that'll be such a crime. And then inevitably, because he's editing the thing, alarm bells will go off. There'll be like a ding, 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 <laughs> like the word of the day. And I'm just stuck here listening to this crap. Like, you know, and and also I'm making, I'm already on edge because I'm making a conscious effort to try not to swear because I swear too much on this podcast. And Alex pointed that out. So I'm like, I'm on my best behavior already. But then he goes off and does his thing. So it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. I will say but, this time I, w- I failed. That was not even Yeah, close. it was awful. That was not Don't ever close. do that again. Don't ever do But guys, so yes. Yeah, so the, the theme of today's, uh, of today's episode is the heist movie. The heist movie, heist. which is such... I, I freaking... 
love this theme um, because one, th- I don't know if you get on found this, but the movies that fall under a heist film are so varied. Like you have movies that are truly about the heist. And this is similar to crime film, I think in a way uh, films that are truly about the, the heist itself and the crime itself. And then tr- films that use the heist as a way to explore character. And that was such a, was that, was that hard for you guys to kind of find, find your, your choice? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, uh, what I found in, in looking at what qualifies as a heist movie, it's never about the heist. It's about the people Mm. performing the heist, right? It's not about the object that they're going for the bank vault or the precious gem or the data or whatever. It's, it's about looking at the people who are doing it and why they're doing it, um, and Mm -hmm. who they're doing it Mm -hmm. to. So I think that that it sort of broadens the scope of like what, a high ceiling. Like it doesn't need to be a group of five or six people, you know, blueprinting a building and breaking in. Like it can, it can be way broader yeah. than that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's awesome. It, it's funny. Cause I, I was talking about it, um, with, uh, with, a with, a I guess one of my managers and, uh, you know, we were just like, I was like, look, the only thing that matters is who's, who's doing it. What are they doing and why? <laughs> and then everything else just kind of becomes uh window dressing and style um yeah and and that's the fun of it because there's this whole we all we all know how hard it is to go after this american dream so to watch somebody just go take that joint <laughs> and, yep. and then find ourselves kind of rooting for their theft um is an interesting kind of emotional jedi mind trick that is always fun to to ride on a uh, in a getaway car. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about that. We did an episode on crime films a couple of weeks ago, and um, the conversation became about these are people performing crimes, but like it, it doesn't like how do you make people root for people who are are technically breaking the law and doing something wrong? Right. And it's 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 amazing how far the that phrase uh, like chasing the American dream, like how far that goes in a lot of these. Like if you watch a movie like Ocean's Eleven, you could describe that as like they're just they're just after the American dream. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. th- this idea that like it, it it boils down to to pursuit, and is that pursuit valid? Is that something you want these characters to be pursuing, or is it not? Right. I mean, and. And the other thing, the other, you know, and talk about ways to engage the, your audience in a, in a heist film. I think the thing that I really loved watching heist films, you know, for this was the realization that like it really is kind of a heist film is almost a writer's dream because the exposition is a plot device, hmm. right? So many of these films, I think, you know, I look at, I looked at, you know, all the Mission Impossible, all the, you know, and and you know, all these films. There's always a scene where they're planning the heist, right? There's always the plan the heist scene. There's always the, okay, we're going to go into here, you go into here, you do this, you do this, you do this. And what's brilliant about that is, A, you're giving the audience information. And the better writers find a clever way to, an even more clever way to dispel that information, whether it's through the argument of the people, you know, in terms of who wants to do which thing, or we shouldn't be doing this plan at all. But what's also amazing about it is you autumn, it's, it's kind of that Hitchcock thing where you, um, you know, the, the bomb analogy, right? You put the bomb in the room, and then oh, it doesn't matter what you're talking about because we all, we know that there's a bomb in the room right. and we're just waiting for it to blow up. With with a heist film and the exposition of a heist film, once you're talking about what the heist is, that already sets up the expectation. So then when we see the actual heist, no matter what the film is, we already have this amazing, if you've done your job right, this amazing structure by which to judge whether the heist is going well or not. 
right? So we're we're sitting we're sitting kind of check, checking off the boxes with you, like, oh, did, okay, did they do this? Did they do this? Did they do this? And when they don't do that, all of a sudden we go, uh oh, and right. we're in. Like it's just it's just this fascinating way to like pull you into character without telling us anything about who they are, what they are, why they are. We're we're already we're already just trying to see if they can pull it off. Um, which is incredible. That's you know? interesting too, because there's a there's like a new device as of you know I don't know last decade or so of and Mission Impossible. The last one might have done it too, where as they talk about the plan, they visualize mm-hmm. what it might look like or how it should look, and oftentimes they're getting the the red meat that audiences want without the characters having to go through any expense for it because it's not real. Yes. Right. So yeah. Like, yes. It, well, here, and then you'll, you'll, you'll spin the cars out and you'll corner the Brinks truck and then 10 of you will get out and you'll shoot them. And, but nobody's, there's nothing at stake. It's just like a visualization of the exposition, which is another way to satisfy, you know, red meat audiences. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, they, they use it as a gotcha sometimes too. Like you, you're watching this happen and then you cut back and like they show up and, and the guard schedule is different and suddenly everything's, you know, gone and yeah, done. Exactly. And that's, and in, whether it's the visual or the, or the verbal, it's just, it just really puts you in a great position. Um, and you're, and also again, going, you know, this is what we talked about with the crime thing. Like there is that, there is that West wing ideology where it's just like at the end of the day, a heist is really theoretically smart people in a room figuring out a puzzle. Do you know what I mean? And watching people think is always interesting. I will stand by that. And again, I go back to the West wing as proof of that for, for I, I, Pete, I'm a huge West wing fan. That's like my favorite, (laughs) one of my, my other favorite show. Um, but literally that is seven seasons of people in rooms figuring things out. And that I think is, is at the heart of a heist film is, is, you know, these people just like breaking it down and problem solving and, uh, and you want to be them, right. you know? So it's, it can, it can go so many different ways. The, the other thing that's, in, you know, trends that have happened. I mean, there's always, there's also this trend. Do you guys do you, here's your question for you. Does the MacGuffin matter? And I know like by its very nature, it's not supposed to matter. I find that that my love of these heist films, like even if the MacGuffin is just a MacGuffin, right? And 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 for those of you who are listening, MacGuffin, of course, being you know, I'm sorry if I'm mansplaining this, so please shut me up. But uh, MacGuffin being the thing that these characters are after, be it the money, the jewels, whatever. But I find that I actually, as much as I, like you don't care about the MacGuffin, with the MacGuffin that's just thrown in there, I I zone out. I'm like, if if it's not something that's worth it. Yeah, I don't know. I I think it has to be. I think I think the really good movies, the MacGuffin represents something else, and it, yeah. and they and they use it. I know the the film that I picked does this really well. Where like, yes, the literal thing that they're chasing uh, doesn't matter, but the character's relationship to it and everything surrounding it, like it couldn't be anything else. Uh, and it informs what everyone's going through, yeah. you know, and you could swap it out, but like the way that they interact with it and what, and what it represents to the characters and to the plot and to the story and everything, like it elevates uh, your experience following, yeah. following yeah. the characters. Yeah. And, and I think like with any genre film, the, the heist, much like the horror film offers a really good opportunity to have some kind of social commentary on whatever the crimes Ooh, are. Yeah. Um, if you're, uh, if you accept this mission, right? Because it, you can very well just kind of get by on high stakes theft and and getaway and interesting, witty, sarcastic characters and a little bit of sex in the middle somewhere, you know. But like, it offers a nice architectural 
a design for you to really use those thematic requirements to say something more. And I think the best ones do that really, really mm-hmm. well. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Agree. Agree. So, so uh, I mean, I, I, I want to hear what y'all have to, I don't Alex, Alex, I take that back. I don't want to hear what yours is. <laughs> That's fair. But, but I know that I know that I have to get through yours to get to Pete's. So like, let's do that. You know what I mean? Mine. I like, kind of want, I kind of want to dig into mine a little bit. So Nick, why don't you actually start? And then I've, I'll go okay. second and then we'll, we'll get to the, we'll get, then we'll get to yeah. the, to the, the main event. Um, all right. So, so yeah, let's, we'll, I'll set this up. So, I mean, I actually think you guys will get this. I, in fact, I know you'll get this right off the bat and I always say that, but I really do believe it this time. Um, because this film is such, it's just such a, if you love film, this is, this is probably one of the best of the past five years. Um, so we start in a parking lot, not even a parking lot. Uh, I, it's, uh, like a, a curb early morning in some, uh, some, you know, wonderful city out there. We don't know what city it is yet. We see the front wheel of a red, beautiful car pulls up. We go inside the car. Play is pressed on an iPod classic. <laughs> a, rock, a rock track starts up. The song is Bell Bottoms by John Spencer. We see a young driver in the, in the front of the car. Every beat of this Bum, bum, goes to a different character in the car. So we start with this young driver. He has a couple scars on his face. He has sunglasses on. He has his headphones in. He's bopping along to the music. We have in the back John Bernthal just being the badass that he is. <laughs> Sitting next to John Bernthal, of course, is John Hamm being the badass that he is. Issa Gonzalez right there, too. And then they all get out of the car, synchronized to the music, get out of the car pull their masks up, they have these gator masks on, pull them up, walk into this bank, do whatever they're going to do, And but we don't go with them in the bank. We're sitting with the kid in the car. Kid in the car is timing everything out to this music. Um, he's try- He sees kind of what's happening in the bank. He's like, uh, you know, you can tell that he has some trepidation about it, but he lets it go. They run in, back into the car. They got bags of cash. How, how old is he, this driver? He almost he like feels like a baby. He almost feels like a baby, like a ba- like a like baby, a, like a baby driver, <laughs> like, a, like a goddamn what'd baby you, driver. The title of which we don't get to until like after, way after this cold open. I didn't realize that. I was like, I mean, because so you know this this scene of course leads into easily the best car chase, um, like I said, of the past five years. It is. It is a. For every car chase in this movie is a masterpiece of filmmaking. Um, this the the opening in particular is just like how and why, and who and where did you think of this? But yeah, Baby Driver is my selection. So what is it you do? I'm a driver. Oh, like a like a chauffeur. You drive around important people. I guess I do. Anyone I'd know? I hope not. Well, aren't you mysterious? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> so when was the last time you hit the road just for fun? Yesterday. Oh, I'm jealous. Sometimes all I want to do is head west on 20 in a car I can't afford with a plan I don't have. Just me, my music, and the road. I'd like that too. Written by Edgar Wright, the amazing Edgar Wright, and directed by him. Um, I actually got my hands on the script. He has three 
or two quotes and and one kind of action or one kind of direction on his on his second page of the script. The first is a quote by T.S. Eliot, which is "You are the music while the music lasts." The second is a mm. quote by Paul Simon, which says, "I was born one dark gray morn with music coming in my ears." And the third is just the line of his own, which says, "Every scene in this film is driven by music," mm. and it is something that just when you watch this movie it is so apparent <laughs> the love and the craft that went into the making of it, because it is true. Every scene, the, the, the film is, you know, much more of an auditory experience than it is a visual or, or dialogue experience. It really is this kind of like sensory film where you, you know, because your, your lead character has a hearing impairment, um, everything that he communicates is through music. Um, and you learn about character through music that you, you learn, you kind of learn, you know, or the kid learns who he can trust and who he can't based off their relationship to music. One of my favorite scenes, you know, spoiler alert, uh, John Hamm ends up being kind of the big bad of the film, but earlier before he, before that happens, they have this, like this really nice bonding moment over, um, Queens boardwalk rockers or, uh, Brighton, Brighton beach. Brighton, uh, Brighton Beach Rock. You know, it's just this, you know, this older man and this young kid who clearly wants for a father figure listening to this song and talking about like their quote unquote killer track, right? The track that gets them revved up to like go and do a heist and be the be the real man for a heist. And you just see the bonding in that. And then Jamie Foxx comes in and he's his character is um, very much like the I, I you know, he's he's the agitator of the of the of the bunch of the crew, but he's also kind of like the truth of this of babies you know baby <laughs> you know it, well because right the main theme of this movie for baby is am i is this the right life for me do you mean what is the life that i want and jay you know i think the brilliance of the script is jamie fox's character as much as he's just a dick he's also the the hard truth of like you were not cut out for this life like you're too nice for this life no you telling me no i don't want to go in there i don't want to go well, hello, baby. Body sit the floor back there. You don't say shit. Now all of a sudden you getting you getting riled up about stopping at a dime. I don't want to go in there. It sucks. What with that recommendation, we got to go in now. And his his immediate distrust of baby kind of exemplifies that, and and it also mirrors what happens to John Ham's character, who very much starts off viewing baby like a like a you know kid brother and a son and all these things, and then by the end of the movie just wants to kill him. You know what I mean? Like it. it it's it's just all inherent in their relationship to the music, um, and I mean it's yeah I I can't say enough good things about this. I mean you guys have seen obviously you've seen this amazing. It's it's been a long time. I I don't remember everything oh, about it, but I remember like it, it's got such a specific style and energy, <sighs> um, which I guess like we were talking about like is very important to a heist film, right? Where where from the very beginning you're you need to get on the character's side and then be excited and have fun watching them work through this heist. And I think this, this presents a kind of thing like, like he kind of remains an outsider the whole time. Like you said, like he's not really cut out for this life. So it's watching him. He's in, in this like snake pit. He's right in the middle of everything going on, but the whole time, you know, he's not really cut out to be there or like, shouldn't be there. Or should, you know, is, is different than everything he's surrounded by. Um, which I, I think, I think brings in an element of, of like caring for him that you might not have otherwise yeah you you really you like like we were saying you connect with him through action rather than words and you see from the beginning that he is somebody who's an outlier his cot i mean and this is this just goes down to amazing design elements right so all the 
all the hi- all the the participants in this heist have very definite colors. Jamie Foxx, his character, always wears like a fiery red. Issa Gonzalez is always in like this like kind of bubblegum pink. Uh, John Hamm is in this black, you know, and and blue. Um, Baby is dressed in uh, white and, bl- and and black. He is his very costuming is somebody who's in between. He he's he's in both worlds. He is the angel and the devil on his shoulder. Um, and just little things like that that are like you're not even you know you're not even consciously recognizing, but it's just a testament to like just how subliminal film as a di- as a as a medium can be. It can mm-hmm. really tell you everything you need to know without a, a single word. I, and and the ride is just so amazing. Um, and you ha- you also have these actors doing some of their best work. I'm sorry, like like when you put actors in a good genre piece, you're gonna get some of the best yeah. work. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just it just gives them room to play. I'm reading now they had uh John Boyega lined up to play baby. Oh, I would have oh, killed. Wow. Which would have changed the entire Whoo. It would have been an upgrade for sure. I love Ansel Elgort, but I I would love to see this movie with John Boyega. Whoo. Yeah, that's all that's a whew, that would have been amazing. That would have yeah. been amazing. Yeah, yeah. But all right, good choice. Good choice. Thank you. That's I, I know it. it is. Quite the breakdown. Yeah. I like that. Quite the breakdown. Um, that's what we do. That's what we do. We just get bored and we break down movies. So, yeah, uh, yeah that one. My, mine's mine's different, a little different. Um, I got really excited just thinking about how to like how to talk about it as a heist movie because I don't think a lot of people would describe it as a heist movie, even though that's very much what it is. Um, and the the core plot device, the core premise of what's going on. You really couldn't. You couldn't do it in any other way. And like, like it's basically a heist movie where instead of trying to take something out, they're trying to put something in. Huh. Um, and in, at the same time, trying to take it's. Uh, you'll see. You'll know. You'll know in the first in the first shot what I'm talking about. But very excited. We open on a beach. The waves are crashing in and out. Uh, a man is face down in the sand, unconscious. Uh, someone walks up, security <laughs> guard uses the tip ass. of his rifle to push his shirt up, sees he has a pistol. We pan oh. up the cliffs. There's a giant Japanese castle. <laughs> Good for <the> you. <laughs> the movie is Inception. <laughs> Inception. What is the most resilient parasite? Bacteria? A virus? An intestinal worm? Uh... What Mr. Cobb is trying to say. An idea. Resilient, highly contagious. Once an idea has taken hold of the brain, it's almost impossible to eradicate. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks. Right in there somewhere. Well, someone like you to steal? Mr. Saito, we can train your subconscious to defend itself from even the most skilled extractor. How can I do that? Because I am the most skilled extractor. Inception. So like I, 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 I try to stay away from Christopher Nolan on this show just because you're Nick, you're obviously obsessed with Christopher Nolan and like, Shut it's, it's kind of easy pickings, but like this movie really is very one of a kind. Um, and when it comes to heist, like, like what I was talking about before about how a heist is about, it's about the characters. It's about using what they're doing, uh, what their goal is um, to, to get into who they are and what they want and their relationships and everything like that. Like literally 
Leonardo DiCaprio's character Cobb, like his romantic hangup that he has the whole time, his wife who's who's died, she still can show up like as part of the work that he's doing. It's like not having to take a break to go do the girlfriend story off to the side and come back to the heist. It's like she's showing up and getting in his way as he's trying to perform the heist. Um, which I think is is a, a brilliant way to handle a relationship in any kind of movie, but it it just stacks this element on like he can be stopped in his tracks at any time, and it presents this this larger than life sci fi thing that doesn't really make any sense, but it doesn't really have to. And for anybody who d- hasn't seen it, you know the the basic premise is there's a team of people who go into your dreams, into your subconscious to extract information. And the twist is that somebody hires this team to go in and implant information. And so the movie becomes about trying to get to the son of a CEO, trying to get him to turn against his father, basically. And they want to implant the idea in his mind to do that. And the whole thing is, is can they, can they? But like at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter because by the time you get to that final room and they're in there and, and they, they do what they need to, to implant that idea, you've gone through everybody's stuff, <laughs> you know, literally through their subconscious and all the, the stuff they bring up, who they are come into the world in, in like physical, literal manners. Um, and I just think it, it stays exciting the whole time. It's a movie you can go back and watch a thousand times and always be pulling something new out. And yeah, as a heist film, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pete, Pete, did you uh, are you are you a Nolan fan at all? I am. You know what? You know the thing that I I really appreciate the most about Nolan is when you watch the following and you. Uh, see him go to that into that apartment and the Batman insignia is yep. in there. I'm like, wow, talk about wanting to do a movie for a long time. <laughs> um, yep. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm I like I like how thoughtful the films are. I think the filmmaking is top notch. Some of them have maybe been a little beyond how much I want to think about something. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, sure. You That's know, fair. because it's funny, like I, I, I have this, I, I've identified my syndrome, which is in a world where I feel like not all of the stories of the people that look like me are told. I kind of don't gravitate toward the hyper fantasy, you know, mm. surreal kind of like explorations of things that, I'd sure. much rather just like tell that in a version of somebody living that in 2020. Um, right. But I mean, he's a, he's, he's dope. He's definitely up there as one of the top filmmakers. No, it's, it's, uh, it's so funny. Cause that's literally the, if you ask my mom about any movie, you know, like that he makes, that's exactly, she's like, look, it's hard enough being a black woman without having to, without having to go and think about like, you know, all these, all these things that he's trying to pull me towards. And also, especially with, again, and I I will say this as a black man who does love Christopher Nolan, it's like, I watch your movies and, you know, we're just, we're just now getting to the first movie that you have a lead who looks like me. Um, You know what I mean? So like, it's not, not for nothing, but like, there is that separation. Right. Um, What I do love about his movies though, is his movies for the most part. And, and again, this, I don't know the man, but it just seems to me like he's created a, a canon of films that are just all allegories for filmmaking, especially Inception. Inception is literally what is the shared dream that is cinema. <laughs> that is literally what does it take to implant an idea in the audience's mind? And and of course, the ending of the film, 
which, you know, everybody debates back and forth about. I mean, the point is that it's like, is cathar I mean, the question he's at, or seems to be asking, and again, I could just be talking out of my out of my ass right now, but it seems to me the question he's asking is like, is catharsis in real life any more or less valuable than catharsis in cinema? Hmm. And his answer is no. Right. It's it's the the things the things that we can make you feel in cinema are 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 just as important as the th- I mean, it's it's the importance of art. Um, so I just I just anybody I agree with you. I don't I, I sometimes I don't want to think that deep. And I'm like, yo, you're just you're you're even thinking too deep for yourself. Um, <laughs> but I do I do admire somebody who takes his art form and tries to make it accessible. And try and tries to raise the level of discourse the uh, in in you know about, about his art form right um, so I, yeah but but I I totally see what you're saying for sure for sure but yeah for now we get sure to, all right so I'm let's, a, to the, let's get to the real one so all right I you know I feel like with this audience and with these hosts well none of these get very far before they're identified <laughs> let's see if i can <laughs> let's see if i can mask it a little bit um, oh you will you will so it opens up with a song by sukhvinder singh and sapna awasti and you hear it and you're like oh interesting choice <laughs> and it sounds great but you're just kind of like knowing the director knowing the the folks in the film you're kind of questioning is this a thematic choice or is this some cool music to bob my head to as the universal um logo loads in front of me on my screen um <gasps> and then we move into uh, a voiceover that deals with many of the things that you both already identified in describing the heist. So it immediately, uh, and I, and I think you know from from those six things seem to be um, you've got who's the leader, um, you've got who you've got who's the team, um, you've got what's the motivation or why you've got the plan, the how, um, and then you've got, you know, how does it all play out? And so in this voiceover, we learn what this gentleman's name is. Um, we learn that there's a difference between being stuck in a cell and a prison. And uh, then we learn wherein lies the rub. And from there, we begin to see what looks like 10 days of B-roll um, <laughs> uh, with so many inserts of various close-ups of uh, urban metropolis gargoyles and street signs and outer limits, carnivals and uh, all the things that kind of give us an uh, a clear sense of place. And then we are introduced to our bank. And as with anything, we're given the status quo and there's great detail given to introducing the characters. So we know who's the, uh, I, don't, I don't know what your policy is on language. So I'm getting some. Oh, no, go, say for it. It. <laughs> go for it. Just- so, uh, you know, who's the asshole and who's the tough guy and who's the, you know, it's just kind of introducing. Yeah. It's almost like an introduction of the reverse dirty dozen 
not the people yeah. who are going to come together to uh, attack this uh, bank for whatever reason, but the people who will bear the impact of whatever happens in that bank. And can I can I yep. can, can I jump in? Can I jump in and say I I think until I saw the Five Bloods. I thought this was his greatest film since Malcolm X. And I know that's not like a huge, I know that that's such a, a, I'm in the minority on that, but I just thought that what he did with this film was brilliant. I, 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 I'd agree with you. Yeah. I'd agree with you. I mean, I I think that, I think 25th hour is an overlooked film. Yes. Yes. Um, Yes. I need to watch the five bloods again. um, Because I have this tendency of working all day and then sitting down at like 10 PM to watch a movie. Um, but uh, yeah, I, w- I would agree with you. This was, uh, and I wonder how much of that has to do with not having written the script because that's the situation on this yep. and the five buds, but that's probably a longer combo. Um, no longer. But yeah, yeah. So it sounds like you guys know what film it is, uh, especially when we introduce <laughs> our main character coming in from a van uh, that is a painting company. Mm. Uh, and then he gauzes over the security cameras and we are watching inside man so what do we got i got an unknown number of suspects and an unknown number of hostages in a bank and about a million spectators and i can't see shit inside there so i'm kind of busy i understand the way this works mr frazier is i deal with mr grossman so if you need anything you can speak with him okay oh, no it's not okay captain detective grossman is away on vacation, so Detective Frazier is the big dick today, all right? Now, if you need anything, you can speak to me, all right? Guess it'll have to be. That's the way it's going to be. Inside. Oh, inside Love it. man. Like all what? of us during quarantine. Like, actually. We're like, all inside men right now. We are literally... <laughs> Sorry, I, ha- I had to. <laughs> I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Um, what... Let me ask you this, Pete. With this movie... Um, you know, obviously both, like you said, with this in 25th hour, he's, he's not only looking at, he's taking these two stories and he's very much matching them up against, you know, post nine 11, New York. And I think, you know, with this one in particular, you get, I mean, he's, and he's always able to do this. He find you know, he finds a way to tell a story, but then just get that social commentary in there. You know, the, the dude who gets, what is he? He, I think he's a Sikh and they, they, they bust him cause he's got a turban on. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> like, do you, did you find that I, sometimes I find that he hits it too over the head. Like I, I love bamboozled. I love bamboozled, but it's, it was too, it was almost too much for me. This one, however, was a nice balance. Do you know what I mean? And, and I, and I, I just, did you, did you find that you, that you like, were able to get what he was saying culturally without feeling like completely overwhelmed or. Yeah. I mean, I did, you know, it's funny. We, uh, my wife and I just watched bamboozled again a week ago um, as research for something. And in many ways, you know, it stands up and things that seemed ridiculous in there still happen. You know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah. I, like even, I remember when um, they had, they have Savion dancing on the table. If you guys remember Bobby Smurda. Like that was exactly what he did, you know, before the charges came up and he was put in prison. But like that was three, four years ago. You know what I mean? And that film was in 02 and it, and it was just as ridiculous then as it is now. But I think I think in this film, I think the con- I think the confines of genre meant that those kind of flourishes that are true to a Spike Lee Film, because also this one wasn't called a joint; it was a film. 
Um, yeah. I think it allowed, it, it kind of put some, uh, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like the word guardrails. That's what came to mind, but it kind of put some guardrails about around where you could do that because you have to hit mm-hmm. those, those theme, you know, heist film mile markers. But the video game was great with the young kid. Oh, you yeah. know, he always got uh, that the Spike Lee shot in there with Denzel um, approaching yep. the the bank. And then just, I mean, there's so many actors in there, like you both mentioned, like you, those folks, you just let them play and, and it's going to be a good Dad, scene. Let me tell you a story. During World War II, there was an American working for a bank in Switzerland. He used his position with the Nazis to enrich himself while all around him people were being stripped of everything they owned. Then he used his blood money to start a bank. Now, does this sound like it might be the man you work for? Or am I just whistling Dixie out of my ass? I believe we understand each other. Good. So what the hell can you do for me since I clearly know more than you do and I've planned this to perfection? Believe me, if I need to, I can change your entire program. So the sooner that you stop being my problem and you start becoming my solution, the better off you'll be. That cast was stacked. And who, and that was, um, oh my God, his partner. Oh, uh, she would tell, she would tell. Oh my God, dude. Yeah. And like, and that was before we even, I mean, I didn't know who he was at that point. And then, you know, he, you know, obviously now he's, you know, one of the best actors we have. Um, but like, yeah, it's, that cast was stacked, bro. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. 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 Incredible. Incredible. And, and, and it's also, and I mean, this is something I love about that film too, is it's, it's not even, it's, it's such a, you know, the heist has happened, but it's also like you're not even seeing it from the perspective of the people doing the heist. It's, it's Denzel figuring out what the heist is. Right. So you even have more of a puzzle box there. Yeah. It's really good. It's a really good. Really, I'm looking at his filmography now. I mean, Spike Lee has this, it, you know, it, it's nice that he kind of transitioned. There's a period of time, like the first decade of the century where he did, you know, he, he does what he does very well. Um, but I think there, there are, are concurrent themes obviously that run through all the early Spike Lee joints, right? And and the films are stylistically like you're watching a Spike Lee movie. It was nice to see with with Summer of Sam and Inside Man and even Miracle at Saint Anna, like him him tackling him taking genre and being able yeah. to do what Spike Lee does best within those those confines and realizing that like this this man is. <laughs> very very good at what he does in in any situation i mean even old boy old boy didn't really get a lot of good press um and i can't say that it stands up completely to the original um but the kind of the the i'll call it bravery (laughs) i don't know if that's exactly what it is but but to take a film like that you know with the filmography that spike lee has and be like let's do this one um was a bold choice i think oh, yeah. and and it's i love watching him work in those situations yeah and in in genre i you know i would i would hazard to say that genre is something that is not unknown to him because even if you look at stuff like mo better blues like the genre was jazz you know what right. i mean he made a movie that literally was jazz and visually just the way that the camera moved in that movie the you know that that's i i love that scene where denzel is practicing his fingering on the trumpet and it's just it's just that a, a, a kind of a variation on the Spike Lee shot where it's just circling around him in that 360 um you know everything about that was just enveloped or enveloped why did i say enveloped enveloped <laughs> in in what jazz is so i just i think that he is someone who can very much 
adapt to the constraints yeah. of the given situation and 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 always has um, so so many cool results um but yeah Hell it's, choice, it's, dude. it's funny you, you pick Spike Lee. Um, there was a question I was going to ask in the first part and we just, you know, got away from it. Um, I remember when I was in school uh, going to a Q&A for Four Little Girls, the documentary that that Mr. Lee did on uh, the church bombing. Um, and I remember him answering a question about, uh, I, I don't remember what the question was, but his response talked about the, the mysticism that film in general has on people. And I listened to your most recent episode. Uh, you have a podcast, Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. Everybody go check it out, please. It's amazing. Check it out. Um, you talked about with Michael Spiller, the same idea of, uh, you know, film and the film industry and movies, you know, carries with it this kind of uh, mysticism, right? People think that these things kind of come fully formed <laughs> and it, 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 you know, out the other end, not realizing that it's, it's a daily grind of work over a very long time. And you end up with this product. People don't see all the, how the sausage is made. They just see the end result and it elevates, it elevates, you know, actors and directors and, and films, you know, to this like godlike level, right? Because it's, it's above and beyond. It's like, it's, it exists on another realm um, without knowing. So what I wanted to ask was, was how, in, trans, in in moving from from making short films and working at a film school and all that and kind of being in love with the um you know the 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 craft and the art and watching a lot of movies and being in love with that process how is it how has it changed your perspective on film and TV to now be in the shit as it were hmm. that's it's an interesting question man I, you know I I don't think it's changed much there's I think the journey has been and you, you all tell me if you agree. I think in the early years of your career, you're powered by what you know you are capable of, yet you don't have enough experience to convince other people that this is true, mm. right? So it's like, you gotta have that, otherwise you quit. And so you're kind of driven by ego and like, pride and whatever and talent hopefully um although it's not always necessary by looking at who, who makes it damn um, and, damn you know like and and so then you start doing more and more work with and on whatever level and at a certain point you know by by rinse repeat hook or crook uh cut and paste like you get a, a certain sense of volume behind you and now more people are aware of what you do and now more people are beginning to see what you've always known you were capable of. Mm -hmm. um, and so what has been interesting to me now, getting behind the curtain a little bit and working is that my hunch was always correct, which is I have not met any geniuses. Mm -hmm. I have not mm -hmm. met anyone where I'm like, now that's directing. Right. Like I like I've met folks that like do certain things or many things like differently and, and, and maybe more effectively than me. Like they might be uh, they might have a better, uh, I don't know, lighthearted vibe on set. You know what I mean? Um, sure. Or they might be, you know, uh, able to. I don't know, fill in the blank, um, but I, I, I really haven't seen like folks 
where I was like in awe of what they were doing. And so that's mm -hmm. been like the demystification process while the affirmation of my own abilities. And then the kind of new target for me has been adding to the theater of the job because mm. you can do a good episode and, you know, uh, be, you know, more or less cool on set and, you know, deliver a director's cut that they're like, hey, pretty close, not much work left to do to it. But if you you could be less effective uh, in the delivery of the cut and more engaging with like, you know, just as a personality on set and how you move through the required things that happen, which is calling cut mm -hmm. in action and talking to people and being on scouts, like really elevating the theatrical performance around that. And that becomes ironically why people say, oh, let's bring Alex back. You know what I mean? Like right. really like being around that person for uh, 12 to 13 hours a day for two weeks. Um, so I don't do, do you think that's the consensus feeling across the industry or I, I, my, my idea of like studio executives are kind of people who buy into their own, their own stories, right? Their own, like they, they aren't demystified. Like they, they love the, the drama of, of thinking that someone's a genius or that, you know, they, they kind of hmm. run a whole business that way. Do you, do you find it that that's the case? Yes. That's a great point. I mean, I, I think that, you know, you know what it is. I feel like it's just often in this in this world um i think genius might just be synonymous with volume of co-signing you know what i mean <laughs> damn and, and, put that on a t-shirt <laughs> yeah right <laughs> and i feel like you know um like like i mentioned right like i got that i had that um deadline announced that i was being selected to shadow and so that's how I got a, a manager. But like, that was my first in industry cosign. Like Sony saying, we've picked this guy to watch our TV show being made, said to the industry that we think he's hireable at some point, which then makes representatives, agents, managers say, oh, well, if Sony said that, they're telling that to other production companies, um, which means maybe the networks are also paying attention, which means there's a possibility Ooh. that this guy can be hired now. And, you know, even with that situation, um, I was, you know, I always kept in touch with the people from that first program that I did, but it would be two more years before I actually did a Sony show, which was atypical, um, which happened after I got my first episode somewhere else, because sometimes um, it's just timing. And once there was a co-sign from ABC, and people could watch an episode that aired, they could say, okay, now this isn't the um, most crazy thing we're going to present this week, <laughs> you know? And they can comfortably say, no, he's done. He's done the work. And then yeah. all of those things kind of propel it. And then you get to a point where, you know, because of the volume of cosign, you get offered work by email. And, I'm not beginning to equate myself to any genius level, but I'm, 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 my point is that like in over a long enough timeline, as you do more and more and that volume increases and people really get a sense of like, you know, how productive you are and how efficient you are. Um, I think that's, you know, there's a quality to quantity as well. Yeah. Huh. 
Well, it sounds like you've got a lot of interesting years ahead. Um, I mean, as things and, exponentially begin to to grow for you, and and years behind, dude. You know, this and is, years behind, yeah. It's yes. such a it's such a such a, a, a an honor to have you on, and and it, it's so crazy because you know we, you know, at least for myself, I will say, you know, I I am. It's so funny that I'm running a film podcast because I am so much looking at this, at least at this point in my career, from the outside in. Like I, I have made my career off of stage work, but this this art form has always been something that I have just loved. Um, and so to hear you both talk about it, and Alex, I am giving you a compliment right now. So like, you know, take that and like hold on to it because it does it doesn't happen, and it won't happen ever again. I will. Um, I'll cut yeah. it into that'll that'll be the beginning of the podcast. That the cold nope. open is actually just going to be you complimenting me. I don't like that, and I think you shouldn't do that. But um, you know, I, I think that it's. I think that, you know one of the things that I'm hearing that I do love um, with both of our our industries, or you know, we're all part of the entertainment industry at the end of the day. But <clears throat> it really does come down to, like you said, the 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 quality of your work and the and the. And the kind of the looking back and seeing what you've been able to amass over many years. And also the fact that, you know, you, 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 you work with people who like you. Um, not that you need to go around being friends, but it's just like, like back to your, back to the sunny guys. Like one of the things that I just find so admirable about them is it just seems from an outside eye. These are people who were friends first and they came up with a really cool idea and they stuck together and made it work. It, you know, come looking at, looking at Lynn and everyone, you know, on the Hamilton team, like, these were people who were just good friends right. and mates and, and, and just wanted to be in the room with each other. And that's why they've kept bringing us back. And like, even the, you know, the job I have now, um, you know, uh, or had before the shutdown, the director of, of this show, um, is, <laughs> is my best friend's godfather right. from college. Do you uh, know what I mean? Like it's Lou, it's, uh, Alex it's Luke Humphrey's godfather. He's oh, is he the guy who did Yoshimi? Yeah. 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 So like, cool. it's, it's just, you, you, you're in the room with people who, who, you know, you, you create your community and, and, and knowing that that you can kind of ride or die on the community you create is just a really yeah. wonderful thing to know for people trying to get in. So very cool. Y'all. Pete, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, if yeah. you want to see more of Pete's work, just turn on your TV and it's going to be there probably. Um, <laughs> on, 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 on many, on many, many stations. Ch- yeah. Chances are you'll see something he's done uh, or you can go to his site, uh, director.videos, D-R-C-T-R.video. Uh, you do, you're doing so much stuff during this quarantine. You have a clothing line now. You yeah. wrote a book. You have the podcast, Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. I mean, you're, you're killing it, man. It's, it's been really fun watching you. Uh, man, I appreciate you guys uh, and thank you for the shout outs. Um, and yeah, I'll be I'll be listening to you guys moving forward and spreading the word. This is a, a great show. Thank well, you. Thank you. Man. Thank you, my friend. All right, Alex. All right, you're, see you're, you're good. See you later. Little Justin. Little Justin. Little Justin. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 